At first blush, it might seem like a pretty straightforward parable that Jesus is using to teach his people. He says that the king was throwing a wedding banquet and all the people who were invited, they didn't want to come. So the king said, fine, I'm going to invite the poor out in the streets. They can come to my wedding banquet. And if that were all of the story, I could tell you a pretty good sermon about that. That all of us are invited, but there are people who won't say yes to the invitation, but that God reaches out even to the poor, to the strange, to the outcast, to the sinner, to invite them to his wedding banquet. But that's not really what happens in this story. That's not really how the king of this story behaves. And it makes me wonder if when we read it at first blush and we assume that the king represents God and the people represent us, that we might be missing the point, the point that Jesus wanted to make. You see, this king, he has a wedding banquet, a multi-day party for his son, and he calls out those who have been invited. He says, come, drop everything, come to my party, and there are people who say, well, no, I need to deal with my business, with my farm. And they maybe have a good reason for not going to this particular wedding banquet. And then there are others we would call real problems who, who abuse the people who are sent out to call them in, who mistreat and kill them. Certainly not the good guys in this story. But the king's response, he's enraged. He sends not more slaves, not a message of grace or peace. He sends troops to destroy those murderers and burn their city. Surely not the whole city said, oh, well, we can't come to your wedding and we're going to harm those who came to invite us. And while the city is burning, the king says to more slaves, all right, the wedding is ready, but those people I invited, they're not worthy. So go invite anybody you can find. And the slaves do. But it doesn't, Jesus doesn't say they go and they find the poor and the outcast, those who wouldn't be thought of. They found everybody, good and bad, and they filled that wedding hall. It sounds like maybe the king was more worried about what his wedding would look like, that his hall would be filled, that everybody would know he was a good and generous king who made sure everybody had a good meal, than that people were truly fed. A city is burning outside his gates, but the wedding must go on and his hall must be full. And then he goes out to look at the spectacle he has created, to look at his full wedding hall of happy, feasting guests, good and bad, he doesn't really care. And he sees one person, one person who doesn't have the wedding robe on, a, a piece of clothing to mark that he was a happy, celebrating wedding guest. These wedding robes weren't hard to get to if you got to the wedding. They would hand you one at the door. It's the opposite of a coat check. And he says to him, friend, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? Not, hello, it's nice to meet you, because he doesn't know this person. Not, what's going on? Why 
have you chosen not to wear a wedding robe, but how did you get in and make my party look bad? And the man says nothing. And the king, in one last move, binds him hand and foot, throws him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This king does not act the way I see God act throughout scripture, through Jesus, and through the world now. This king is quick to anger. He is capricious, uncaring of the violence that he is, he is putting out into the world, that he is act, um, acting on others. He is celebrating, throwing a lavish party while there is weeping and gnashing of teeth outside, while there is a city burning that he set alight. This king does not appear to be like the God I know, like Jesus who has shown me who God is. And so I think we have to look at this story differently. You see, there are people like this king in our world all the time. People who choose to ignore suffering for the sake of their own comfort, their own joy. People who choose to ignore those in need, to ignore those in pain, who choose to celebrate even in the face of violence. Even in the face of people being killed, if it's the people they don't like, that's just fine. Plenty of people who are quick to anger who are capricious and will change their allegiance, change their friends with no thought of who they are or what's actually going on with them. As we see violence in the Middle East, in the place where Jesus himself walked, we see far too many people celebrating on both sides of this war that people are being killed, that others are standing up to fight against the terrorists. And more people are killed and more people are homeless. And I cannot believe that God celebrates in the face of violence. So then we turn to this man who isn't wearing a wedding robe. He's present, but he's not celebrating. And he is speechless, much like Jesus was in the face of his own death, in the face of the accusers who turned all of the evils of their day and age on him. <coughs> you see, God cannot celebrate while there is violence and evil in our world. God cannot act like everything is all right when this world is still steeped in sin. For those of, uh, those of you who have been in our Revelation Bible study, which we just finished, we see that even the celebration at the end of Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, it cannot take place until sin and evil are dealt with. The wedding is announced the, the, the lamb has come, his bride is ready, but there is still evil. The wedding has to wait. 
And then, then when evil and violence and hatred are fully eradicated from the world, then there is a celebration. Then all are welcome at the banquet feast. Then it is a new heaven and a new earth where everyone can celebrate. When we look at Isaiah, at the feast that God will make for all, that assumes that all will be welcome, that the violence that has kept people apart will be ended. As followers of Christ, as believers that God chose to become human, to live in our world and to die, to be killed by the powers that be before he would rise again, we are people of the cross. We are a people who follow a God who does not celebrate when there is sin in the world, who does not ignore pain and suffering, who does not ignore the evil in the world, but goes to where it is, weeps with those who weep, mourns with those who mourns, and promises that there will be celebration when death is no more. There will be celebration when evil is gone. There will be celebration when sin is ended. If Jesus is the man at the party who refuses to put on his wedding robe, then that is who I want to follow. Someone who does not partake in a fake celebration while there is still evil in the world, but someone who sees the world for what it is, who refuses to celebrate until all are truly welcome, someone who calls us to live a life that sees the world as it is, to work against violence, against hatred and anger, against sin in our own lives and in the world as a whole someone who knows that the real celebration, that heavenly banquet that will take place, that we get glimpses of whenever we are gathered together in peace, that we get glimpses of at this communion table and glimpses of as we reach out to our community in love and joy, that that is the heavenly feast we should wait for, the one that God will set for us and celebrate with us with no reservations, no wishing others would be gathered in because all will be present. No worry about the fires and the violence and the weeping and gnashing of teeth outside our doors because they will be no more. God is not like the king in this story. God is the one who sees the world for what it is and calls us to be transformed by love. Love that knows the darkness of the world and knows how to make it light again. Amen.